In this week's episode of Along the Keel, I sit down with Rick Wittenbaker, Chief Marketing Officer for Howler Brothers. Nestled deep in the heart of Austin, Texas, Howler Brothers brings together a unique perspective on outdoor culture and what most would describe as good, wholesome living. Fishing, surfing, exploring, and having a good time are all a part of the Howlerverse, and it's no surprise that these guys have been around for well over a decade. Rick and I go deep into what makes Howler Brothers so special while at the same time discussing the importance of building a culture and brand and being authentic. His experience in the outdoor industry and as an entrepreneur is full of nuggets that I think we can all apply to our own lives, regardless of whether or not you own a business. That and more on this week's episode of Along the Keel, but first... Go and support the show by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and share the episode with someone you know. Thanks and enjoy the show. Didn't you go? Didn't you go somewhere from the last time we talked? I went. Uh, I went tarpon fishing over That's the Fourth right. of July, which was great. Uh, yeah, we had a was great. It? Yeah, it was badass. We had a great trip and um, saw. A ton of fish and had tons of shots and it was a great uh great thing and and these guys um now uh well they're both howler ambassadors so that they, mm-hmm. and, and longtime friends and so it makes it just super fun uh and it's um uh the guide is david mangum who's pretty widely regarded as one of the gurus of tarpon uh, especially on a fly rod. And then sure. the other guy uh, fishing with me is uh, JT Van Zant, who's also a guy, oh, yeah. but but from here on the Texas coast. And so it just makes it, um, and they've been friends for like 30 years. And so oh, it so just makes cool it trip. super fun. Yeah. We do it every year, uh, but it, it was just every year it gets funnier and uh, you know, just, you just keep piling on the, yeah. the inside jokes and the funny <laughs> shit and it just keeps happening. You know, it's, it's great, but the fishing was great too, which means that it was, uh, you get that extra sort of satisfaction or yeah. Uh, you yeah. Know, full circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I, that's kind of like the end, is that the end of the tarpon run down there? Uh, it kind of runs through uh, at least where he is. It runs through like, um, uh, first of August. First of um, August. Okay. Yeah, it kind of starts uh, April one and goes to August one. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty long season. I mean, I feel yeah. like in Florida the run was is a lot shorter, right? Uh, I mean, it, I it, he, yeah, it just sort of depends and depending on water temps and seasonality stuff. Like some some years it'll be earlier than that or start earlier and some years will start later, but, um, cause really water temp is like the biggest driver of right. their migration. Um, right. And so I, I can't, I want to say it's like whatever that magic temp is like 72 degrees or whatever it is. Like that's what they're chasing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, gotcha. Gotcha. You know, so it's pretty cool that you can kind of mix, uh, mix work with play because you're technically, working down there right yeah i mean yes technically, <laughs> technically. <laughs> it's uh it, it's uh yeah no it is it's it's a that's definitely one of the the perks of, of being in this biz and and doing what we get to do is being able to do fun cool things like that um right this was technically a uh a 
personal fun trip, but mm-hmm. you know, you get had the, work benefits. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's pretty cool. It was good. It's good though. Cool. Yeah. Right on. Now, have you always been a fly fisherman, or are you have you dabbled in other like spinning reel, conventional like? Oh yeah, or yeah. Has it always been everything. Right? No, not not always. Uh, but I started. I did start pretty young, uh, and then I sort of just kind of dropped it for a while just because um i don't know i was basically just chasing bass all the time and yeah. uh you know running around with a, a bait caster or a spinning reel and uh but then i i came probably in college realistically like came back into it and sure. um and uh but no i grew up you know like a lot of people i grew up uh mostly uh fishing stock tanks like farm ponds and mm-hmm. uh, just racking up or or really anywhere i i could access as a kid and right. just fishing but i did have the um you know the good fortune of uh, my dad's side of the family is from indiana and michigan and so mm-hmm. we got to go up there every summer and so there was all these species and cool things that we didn't have down in texas and so right you know you can catch lake perch and walleye and uh even some trout and stuff and and smallies in their lake in the lake that we go to up there and so Mm -hmm. that is like with this awesome expansion of the universe for me as a you know as an eight-year-old obsessed with right with ribbon lips and whatever so that was uh that was really fun but but by and large most of what i did was just large mouth any any possible way yeah yeah any the the tug is the drug as they say right yeah well and it was just so fun like for me as a kid it was it was like this kind of awesome i don't know a little adventure thing and my folks were like very down with and would say here Mm -hmm. yeah you can go be home by dinner um and you kind of had to figure a lot of it out on your own right you know you like Oh shit, that knot didn't work. I got to figure out a better knot or, you know, all, all that stuff. Or like there yesterday, they were eating on the chartreuse and now that's not working. Why isn't that working? And so it was kind of like this big Rubik's cube that was fun to try and solve. Uh, and, right. you know, but you're also outside and stirring yeah, shit you up can, and doing the whole uh, thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine, uh, I was listening to a podcast that he was on and he was like, yeah, you know, I just kind of grew up outside breaking shit, blowing shit up. You know, typical yeah. kid shit. And I'm like, oh man, yeah, you're not, you're, you're, it's kind of a bummer that people nowadays, kids nowadays don't do that. I know. I, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I was the same way. I mean, I, I'm still obsessed with fireworks. And so I was <laughs> like, always, I know. Right. And so I was always like trying to blow shit up or figure out, I don't know. And I, I'd loved everybody has fireworks around the 4th of July or new year's. Mm-hmm. Right. But I was always like stashing them and coming back oh, in, the, in the the heart the heart <laughs> of the the off season and trying to like scare people and stuff. So, Nothing love like stuff. a good March fireworks show. To, yeah, to totally. Who night. who doesn't love that? <laughs> right. You know, it's funny. So I, you know, I primarily grew up in Rhode Island. Um, lived around the country. Lived in Florida for a little bit. Um, but we would always come back to Rhode Island during the summers. So this is kind of yeah. where I spent a lot of my time outside. And where I got my foothold into the marine and maritime industry. But on the ride up, you know, you drive through 
Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina. You get yep. up by like the south of the border, and it's just fireworks the whole way up. In Rhode Island, yeah. it's illegal. You can't have fireworks. Yeah, right. right. So it's like kid, kid in the candy store the whole way up. It's great. Totally. And you probably <laughs> muled a bunch of fireworks back for your buddies. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. The whole family so, got into it. Yeah. Yeah aunts uncles so all chipping into the pot you know um yeah, love yeah, that. crazy good old the good old south right <laughs> yeah that's right um that's right well well cool you know rick it's it's a it's a pleasure to kind of have here and you know be able to chit chat with you and, and get to know you and you know based on our other calls that we've talked you know had fortunate of uh chit chatting there um you know being able to chat about your your experience, not only with Howler Bros, but yep. just the industry in general, you know, because you've really been, um, you know, you've been around this, been around the block a few times, you know, and it's interesting to see that, you know, growing up, obviously the outdoors was always a big passion of yours that you kind of carry through. But, you know, one thing that kind of stuck out to me just in the first few minutes of talking to you is, you know, you kind of can, you considered the outdoors as like a Rubik's cube, right? And in a yeah. lot of ways, business is like a Rubik's cube, right? Yeah. A really, and it sure. can be a really messy one. It can be a really yeah, fun yeah. one too. Um, but the outdoors is such a great uh, baseline. You know, it's kind of that, yeah. the outdoors, the ocean, it, it's the great equalizer, right? It's what you put in is what you're going to get out. If you stay out there and you're going to, you know, fish and try out new baits and, and see what works and what doesn't, chances are you're going to catch something eventually. But if you never, if yeah. you never try, you never do. Right. So yeah. <clears throat> you being, you're, you seem like you're a nosy guy. Is that something that's always been? <laughs> yes. Is that something definitely. that's always been uh, a quality of yours, even when you were growing up? Yeah, I, I maybe not nosy, like getting into other people's <laughs> uh, business, but more like uh, inquisitive. And I sure. think like trying to figure out, I love trying to figure out how stuff works and why, mm -hmm. you know, and that's anything from like something small and mechanical to like fishing, you know, and how, why, why do they eat this? Why do they not eat that? kind of not to work and don't work or all, all that stuff. I just, I've always loved that, but, um, I'll, I've also, why do you think that is? I don't know. I mean, I think, I think it's sort of human in a lot of ways, but then I think, um, just the, you know, it's like, you, you feel like you've really solved something like, you mm -hmm. know, I don't know. Someone can tell you the answer. But when you know how, when you go through the process of trying to figure it out, then I think you not only feel better about it, but you, uh, you kind of are like, okay, well, that next challenge or that next obstacle I come across is not going to be as, it's certainly more tameable than the last one, you mm -hmm. know, or at least I feel I have the confidence to go attack it better maybe than I did uh, if, I, if I had just been told the answer. Right. You know, um, right. so yeah, I don't know. I always love that. But I also, I think part of it too is like, e even as a kid, sort of being a, a gear junkie. And mm -hmm. um, so you realize, like, yes, I can go catch this fish on the, the rod and reel my dad handed me. But there's also, uh, there's a million options out there. And 
There's other things and other ways the guys do it and other places they fish differently and all that stuff. So I don't know, part of, part of all those, a lot of those hobbies or fun pastimes all involved different gear. And it's not necessarily I was like trying to accumulate all the gear, although I, I do love gear, but it's, it's gear. more, yeah, but it's more, I think more like, oh, I just thought it was so neat that there's this specialized gear for this thing. Mm-hmm. You come over here and you go skiing and there's totally specialized gear for that. And then, you know, the next thing has got their own thing. So I, I don't know. I just felt like it was kind of a, almost like uh, learning different martial arts or languages or merit badges or whatever you want to call it so i always just love that stuff yeah a different tool in the toolbox for any sort of occasion you know and and it seems like the the path that you've gone you know once you you know grew up and we're like all right well what's where am i going to go right how am i going to get into what eventually became the outdoor industry but you've you've worked a lot of different places and you've you've had a lot of different rubik's cubes if you will um throughout your career right and it's not just one thing and you mentioned earlier on too like different tools in the toolbox as you go on and different ways you learn things like different ways you catch a fish different ways you go skiing different ways you go climbing um where do you think the entrepreneurial spirit for you started you know because you could be an outdoorsy kid that wants to figure things out but applying that and taking that and twisting it up into something that eventually you know becomes a business that's a totally different story yeah. And, and I didn't, you know, I've, I've been in the outdoor industry the last like 13 years, but I haven't, or maybe a little longer, but I haven't, I didn't always, I didn't start doing that. And I, I didn't, uh, I didn't really think about that that was an option as far as like a job went. Um, but I, I have done a bunch of different, probably like pretty random assortment of jobs, very non-linear <laughs> career path that I don't necessarily recommend for people. What do you but, think uh, is the most random if you had to say? Uh, most random, I think probably for uh, most people was that when I, I lived in New York for a few years uh, before moving back to Austin um, with my now wife. And uh, I got a job uh, trading commodities. And that's not necessarily mm-hmm. that weird, but um, our little trading house, we only traded sugar. And uh, our sort of niche was that we knew all the uh, sugar producers in Latin America. And so mm-hmm. I was the only gringo in the company and we spoke Spanish. <laughs> we only spoke Spanish in the office. And so it was really, really cool, really fun, kind of learning trial by fire you know, and, um, it was really neat. And so we like all day long and and it's not just some sugar or some amount. It's like, no, Mm -hmm. we would for certain clients, you know, buy 40,000 tons of raw sugar and then charter a vessel. You charter a whole vessel that comes and picks it up (laughs) at a port of loading and takes it from say Brazil to West Africa. And so you have the, it's all this crazy stuff that happens. Um, and it was just really neat. But you tell somebody and they're like, what? what? How right. on the earth did you get involved in that? So it's just one yeah. of those, like, that's a very, and it only, in the U.S. at least, it only really exists in New York. You know, there's no other right. place that does it. So, right. Um, right. Yeah, but that, that's like probably the most random. <laughs> How did you <laughs> yeah. even end up in that? 
in the outdoors or in the uh no into the sugar exporting or (laughs) so before moving to new york i had spent like four years working for a private equity group uh they were based out of texas but uh the 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 deals i was uh focused on were in latin america and Mm -hmm. so i already learned um I had spoken Spanish for a long time. And then after living there for a lot of years, I had Spanish and had Spanish living in multiple countries. So you have different accents and you just understand there's different jargons and things. And then, mm-hmm. um, and then I got to New York and I didn't know what I was going to do. It was right after nine 11, which is like the worst time ever to try and move there and find a job. And, uh, I just got real lucky. And I saw this post on a, on a, a job board, uh, like I think it was um, monster.com, which probably doesn't even exist Mm -hmm. today. Um, And it was real short and it just said, must speak Spanish, you know, must have lived in Latin America or something. And, uh, and and there was something else, some little hint, they were trying to be anonymous basically. Mm -hmm. And there was some little hint that they left. And after like Googling that word or whatever, I figured out that it was probably this. And then I figured out it was probably this company and they were just sending applicants to like a hotmail account, you know, trying hmm. to keep it like sort of at arm's length. And, um, yeah. I, I, I sort of reverse engineered the name of the company. And so I just called them and I said, Hey, I want to make sure you got my application. And they were like, how the hell did you get this number? And I, I sort of explained it to them and we, they said, yeah, we got it. They hung up and then they called me back like 10 minutes later. Like we're baffled at how you figured this out. So uh, <laughs> can you come interview tomorrow? And that was it. And it was, uh, yeah. so it, it was pretty neat, but um, it was a cool experience yeah, pretty funny. and, and pretty wild. And uh, you know, at my, uh, it, it was a, it was a fun thing to do for like a chapter of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, how did you like? Where did you learn Spanish? If you said that you lived in Latin America, where was that from? Um, well, the it really kicked off for me. Um, I mean, I took Spanish in junior high, like any or a lot of people do, but it really had, didn't resonate much. But um, my uh, my best friend and I went on this kind of summer immersion program that we thought. Oh my gosh. Like we weren't looking at it to try and learn Spanish. We thought it was this like vacation away from our parents, but they're going to pay for mm-hmm. it. And they would be excited because we, they thought we were trying to learn in the summer. And so what, what happened and we ended up, it was really cool, but uh, that was down in Mexico uh, mm-hmm. for a month. We lived down there and, you know, I didn't really care about Spanish prior to that, but something clicked when I was there and it was just like, Oh my gosh it's just sort of came naturally and it was kind of flowing out. And all of a sudden huh. I was like, I'm hooked, you know? <laughs> and so then, then it was like all through That's school and I, uh, Mexico first. And then I studied in Spain for a while. And then when I got out of college, I was like, I really just want to go to Argentina. And mm-hmm. I searched for a while and then I got pretty lucky and found this job that, that took me down there and it was, frankly, it was above my pay grade. Um, but, uh, I, I tried to absorb and learn as much as I could on the fly. Um, 
And so it was for this shop, this private equity group out of Dallas. And uh, they had one investment already in Argentina Mm -hmm. and they were looking to make a bunch more. And so, and all, all the, most of the guys in the company were all like my parents' age. So, and they didn't speak Spanish and they they didn't really want to be living down there. And I was like, God, this is incredible. So they're paying me (laughs) to live in the place I want and basically give me like a free education on all this uh, analyzing deals and looking, evaluating companies and stuff. And so uh, I I just got lucky, man. And then just kind of, stuck with it. And then that took me, I was in Argentina for a while. And then there was another opportunity that came up that they sort of transferred me over to El Salvador. And I was, I was there for like three years before uh, we finally sold out of those companies. And then I, um, I left after, after we kind of divested of those businesses, I left. Mm-hmm. And that's when I moved mm-hmm. to New York. Yeah, that is uh you have a very eclectic. Um, it's super weird. How did I get there. Story. <laughs> yeah, totally. Super weird, but interesting. You know, I mean, you know, I think something that stuck out to me last time we spoke was, you know, knock on the front door, get a front door answer. Knock on the side door, you never know what's going to come. In. Well, never what's going to happen, right? Get that yeah. side door answer. And it sounds like to me that you've been someone that's always been knocking on the side door. You know, you've always been that person that's. You know, what's the word? Not not nosy. What did what did you say earlier? Um, but <laughs> Inquisitive. Curious. Inquisitive. Yeah, curious. There you go. That's a nicer yeah. way. Nicer nicer term. Curious. Um, you know, uh, why do you think that's so important? And, and do you think that's kind of been lost in how things are done today? Um, that's a that's an interesting question. I don't know that um, it's necessarily been lost. I just think that a lot of the a lot of the things that we have today that we didn't have either growing up or, or that our parents didn't have when they were our age uh, today is, is all about, uh, it's, you know, you think of even like the internet, it's like everything is about convenience and about uh, mm-hmm. speed and stuff. And I try to like, which I, I love, but you know, in a lot of ways they're trying to take friction out of the process for you whether that's sign up for a new bank account and get that in like 30 seconds or you can buy a car online and they'll deliver it to you. It can just show up, you know, all those things, which are Mm -hmm. all super cool. Uh, But I think one of the things about it, it's like those things are awesome as a consumer, but it took a lot of work for those different companies or industries to get to that point, you know, Mm -hmm. and some like breaking the inertia on or busting out of the the flow of the tide like the 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 car thing where they bring it to you you mm-hmm. know or um that, that was like 20 years ago they would have laughed you out of the building um, right you know so i i think i think those things and they're awesome as a consumer but it took those people asking harder questions or saying why why can't we do it a different way and i don't know so i don't think it's lost i think as consumers mm-hmm we've been sort of handed so much stuff on a silver platter. I think entrepreneurs for the most part uh, are are the ones that are chasing these harder questions or trying to figure out a better way to do it. Um, Right. I don't know. I've always, I think like early on, you kind of like when you see that 
uh, kind of to use the front door example, like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, you can just wait in line in the front door, knock on the door, try and get in. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and that probably is the right way for a lot of occasions. But when you're like, hey, if I help you carry the groceries in, can I just come in the side door? And then they're like, yeah, oh my God, I can't believe you want to help us with the groceries. And then, you know, there's just right. ways to do it. And I'll, uh, most of it honestly comes around adding value in some way, mm-hmm. you know, instead of like asking or demanding something out of them, it's like, how do I help you? How do I bring value right. to you? And that's like the way to get in, you know? Yeah. Hundred percent, and I think it's it's adding value and having no expectation, you know. Yeah. Because once you once you have expectation, then people can see right through that. They can see through yeah. the lack of authenticity. Yeah. And and I totally. and it seems as though the brands that you've been fortunate to work with, you know, one of which being Yeti, and then moving into a company like Howler Bros, um, that's really what it's what it's kind of built on is being authentic. You know, so, I mean, you kind of take, taking a step back and, and before we really dive deep into where you are with, with Howler Bros and how that came to be, you know, it's really interesting to see that your career went from selling sugar and exporting and importing it to yes. doing private equity stuff down in Latin America, but then being responsible for developing a brand like Yeti or being one of the people, you know, responsible yeah. for that. And, you know, Yeti is such a, I mean, it's one of those brands that people look at and they're like, we want to be like the Yeti of, you know, sunglasses, the Yeti of whatever, you know, and and it's, it's interesting to see that because, you know, I just had, um, Aaron Stasiak from the qualified captain on the podcast and, you know, what a, what a cool guy, you know, and interesting how it all came to be also a really funny page on Instagram. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Hilarious. But what I think is super powerful about his platform is that the word qualified has now become a term just like you would use like Kleenex, right? Where now everyone right. just refers to it as, oh, Kleenex, right? In the boating community, it's now, oh, you're a qualified captain. Don't want to end up unqualified, you know? So, right. I mean, that's super powerful, right? So applying that to Yeti, what do you think? I mean, going into the side door, I think is really a place where stories can be told. And it seems like you've been really fortunate to be able to tell some pretty cool stories with brands like Yeti and Howler Bros. So like, how did that all get, how did that all get started? Um, you know, I think like going to Yeti, uh, Roy and Ryan Cedars who founded it were, uh, super obsessed with, especially Roy, super obsessed with the product itself and building a better product, a better mousetrap that had every feature on it was better and performed better. So that was, that was already there. And that was also baked into sort of the, the, the company as far as like how we're going to make stuff and design products and how we're going to, um, but it's one thing to say, here's this awesome product and it's better for all these scientific reasons. Those are really features, even the performance really output, you could argue are features. Mm-hmm. Um, and really the, the, and they did a great job of, of uh, you know, f- doing some early and initial things around audience that were, and frankly, it was all just because they love to hunt and fish. 
and said this is what they wanted which which brought a real authenticity and like a need um to like the product but when it when it came to really and and the the business was booming i mean you know like Mm -hmm. it it was it, it took a while for them to get it going but then after it sort of hit this inflection point it was growing even if it was growing real big on a smaller local level. It was still had kicked up. I think one of the bigger things, the the first thing I ever saw before I even bought one or before I'd even met them is my friends that had them couldn't mm. stop raving about them, about how much better they mm. performed. And so I, I'm thinking of one friend uh, in particular that had one and he loved it and he, he was just raving about it. And, uh, and so I just remember like when I did find, when I did meet, uh, Roy and Ryan and I, I started do stuff for him. Like for me, one of the things was, yes, the product is so much better, but if you really zoom out, it's like, we don't have to tell people what a cooler is or what it does. We don't have mm-hmm. to tell people when to use a cooler. We don't have to tell people what to put in a cooler. All we're, and if you really look at it, you're like, most of the time, other than like Mm -hmm. organ transplants, most of the time you're using a cooler is some time that you are really excited about. You're having fun doing, you're fired up to be there. It's like what you're dying to do. Could be tailgating, could be a road trip, could be camping. It could be at the beach, hunting, fishing, like you name it, but all that stuff is like fun, super exciting vacation caliber activities. Mm-hmm. And so, and all that really taps into your heart and emotional stuff, not just thinking logically. And so right. really the, the logic side of your brain says, oh yeah, it, you know, hear all these factoid bullet points and performance about how it does, but mm-hmm. your heart, the heart, the emotional side is like, Oh, I love if you're, let's say you're real into fishing. You, you probably, I think you love going offshore. So offshore, we're already taking coolers multiple because one right. has drinks and food. One is, uh, you know, put fish in. And so mm-hmm. you're already doing it, but I'm now giving you a better thing, a better, mousetrap that makes your fishing experience better means your drinks are colder means you can stay out longer and catch mm-hmm. more because you know that ice isn't going to melt in the summer and so i just made or not i but we the product made mm-hmm. your fishing experience better so therefore it's like putting your favorite thing on steroids right. and and so one of the cool things about that was Although we were like designing around these very functional, uh, logic based things where we mm-hmm. were actually f- getting this traction and getting people bought in was over here on this emotional side. And that, mm. that was where it really started to totally make sense. Right now at, it seems like it happened. Like the timing was perfect too. Right. I mean, the, no other brand had really been tapping into the emotional side of things. And do you think it was just happenstance or was that more of a, Hmm, no one else is doing this. We got to do this. Or was it, that's the plan all along. Like this is Rick and this is what 
I think we should do because that's what I would do, you know? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I mean, I think honestly, it was uh, it's probably a combination of things. Um, and you know, Roy and Ryan were super focused on the product and getting the product right. Because that emotional argument and stuff doesn't happen if you don't have a, a better product. Right. You know, like it just you can you can say it does, but actually you're kind of falling short because it's just the same as the other guy. Um, and because it was sort of first in class, it was a, you you have the first mover advantage. Um, and so there's that too, but I really think that it, it, it it was a combination of all these things. And Roy and Ryan were super focused on building a better product, but also on getting the sales and Mm -hmm. really around building this network like a, re, a distri- dealer network. Um, and it wasn't until, and that's all fine and that's functioning and going great. But the real afterburner came is when we really started to put priority onto communicating direct to customer. And some of that is e-commerce is a sort of subset of that, but like that direct mm-hmm. conveyance of, you know, emotion and and the benefits to the customers is when it really kicked into gear right right no it's interesting it's it's cool to see i mean you know i think everyone to this day is still blown away by you know what we were so used to being a cheap walmart cooler to now yeah cooler selling for well above 300 bucks you know yeah and and just spending that money and 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 you know, you kind of see a Yeti on a boat and it's almost become synonymous, right? Yeah. And then you think of all the stories and, and all the, the things that are happening and the adventures that you took. And it almost becomes like, you know, I have a I have a Osprey backpack. Now, I've done every single backpacking trip with that bag. And every right. time I pick it up, you're kind of getting brought back to all the adventures and everything that you kind of have, have done on this backpack yeah. or with these boots on. And, and I really think that's where branding becomes super powerful because that's exactly what people want to feel and hear and see. And, and yeah. that's what a brand truly represents. So you're with Yeti for a while. You take a step and you're like, all right, well, let's try and do something else. And you stumble upon Howler Bros. So what was what was this kind of transition and and why the transition? Was it try something new and different? I mean, you stuck in the outdoor industry. So obviously you were kind of, you wanted to stay within this zone or were you just happened to fall into it? No, honestly. uh, And, and coincidentally, my same friend who had the Yeti and was raving about it. I'll I'll give him a little shout out. His name is Aaron Stanley. Uh, He also, uh, Howler, I, I had sort of heard of it, maybe heard of grumblings that this thing was coming, but I didn't know. Uh, I had not yet met Chase or Andy, our uh, our founders. And mm-hmm. but Aaron reached out to me. It was literally like the week they launched, or like a week after they launched. Um, and he said, "Hey, I really think you need to meet Chase. Uh, why don't the three of us go grab lunch?" I was like, great. So the three of us went and had lunch and we're just talking. And I, I was, you know, frankly, I was like, 
a, a fan and a customer first. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just thought it was cool to get to meet the guy that brought this to life. Um, and, but we, Chase and I, even just at that first lunch, we just hit it off, uh, as, as friends, but also, um, it was, it was really, what was really neat for me is that he is this insanely talented creative person and he had created all these things that I was like, Oh my God, I, I like, I've been dying for this. This is awesome. Mm-hmm. Or I can't believe how cool this is. I never would have thought of that. I'm buying this today. And so I, I felt like he had sort of captured all that and put it into these products and these designs. And so for me, it was really easy to like get excited about it. Um, and basically it was like, he, he was an architect prior and, and a musician mm-hmm. and an artist. And so he had never manufactured anything prior to this and he hadn't been in the outdoor industry prior to this. And so it was like, Hey, let me just, uh, well here, what about, uh, have y'all considered doing X, Y, or Z, or you need to meet these folks or, um, you know, you should really consider going to the show or doing this or doing that. And I, I tried to work them into some Yeti, uh, campaigns and things, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, um, if we're having a guy holding the cooler, he could be wearing a Howler shirt or whatever. Um, right. Got them involved, you know, just little things like that. Um, and tried to help and we just became friends. And so, you know, once a month we'd go get beers and talk shop and, and he would have grown and said, oh, okay, well now we hit this roadblock how do y'all do it? Or what do you think we should do? Or, you know, things like that. And so we just became friends. Uh, and mm. then it took, um, you know, a little while, I don't know, fast forward a year or whatever it was two a year and a half. And, um, I, had, uh, I had decided I, I wanted to, uh, leave Yeti. And so we were having beers one night and I was like, Hey man, I think, um, FYI, I think I might be, uh, not tomorrow, but somewhere in the near future, like mm-hmm. heading out. And uh, long story short, we, we tried to make it work. It didn't happen right then. But then a few a little while down the road, uh, there was another option or opportunity, rather. And uh, we hammered it out. And by then, I'd come really come to know Chase and, and Andy and Mason. Uh, Mason joined at that point. Um, Mm-hmm. And we had hung out at trade shows and done all that good stuff. And so um, really knew that I would hit it off with them. And, uh, and so we, we all sat around a table and kind of hammered out a, a deal and made it work. And it's been awesome. And now I've been here uh, eight and a half years. Dang. Wow. That's a long yeah. time. So, and it sounds like you got to keep your buddy Aaron um, privy to pretty much I everything. Know. I got, yeah, I got to keep like uh drip feeding him some products. <laughs> so he'll keep sending me these things. Yeah. Just keep on sending the leads, buddy. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty funny. Um, so Howler bros, I mean, what was it that really kind of, I mean, other than you became buddies with the guys, but, and, and now that you're working at Howler bros, you know, it's a, it's a pretty unique brand, you know, and it, it really kind of cross pollinates the, the fish world, the surf world. Um, and, pretty much all things coastal, but focusing a lot on Texas and it, it's interesting, you know? And yeah, I think what I love about Howler Bros is, you know, you can definitely feel there's some essence of, you know, uh, 
Yeti kind of involved, right? And I'm uh, I'm gonna probably push that over to you because obviously that's that's kind of Rick's trade. That's kind of your mark right there is like that style of storytelling, you know. <laughs> so, um, am I am I wrong by that? Oh no, I mean, look, I think we have a uh, we, we're definitely friends, very close friends with a lot of Yeti folks. Still, uh, mm-hmm. we've we've made uh, two rounds of special collections for them like we do we mm-hmm. share a lot of ambassadors we share a lot of the same stuff um so mm-hmm. we definitely have a lot of overlap um yeah we we uh you know howler uh howler brothers is brothers plural it's not by accident it was very deliberate mm-hmm. it's about we not me it's about shared experiences it's about uh, being with your friends and having fun and doing those fun things, but with friends, and it's about the uh, like the, the 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 journey of it, and not so much mm-hmm. about climbing some giant mountain and putting a flag on top and look what I did. It's not about that. Right. Um, it's not saying it's bad for other brands or people to do that. It's just when they set out to really, how do we, what do we want it to be? And how do we make it stand apart from the, the crowd? It was like, look, we, we really want this to be brothers, plural. We want it to be about shared group things and activities. Mm. And uh, we want it. It's not about an ego boost. Me you know, look at all these things I did or accomplished. It's about sort of the, the trip as a whole or the, the fun together as a whole. Um, and so that was, that was a big part of like, uh, you know, when they, and and I give Andy and Chase all the credit because they, you know, it took them from the, like the aha moment to like bringing products to light. It was Mm -hmm. a year and a half. Um, and so maybe shoot, maybe longer. Uh, but, Anyways, they they put a lot of energy. Most people get really fired up because they got their logo figured out, and they put a ton <laughs> of energy into really figuring out who we are, who we are not, what do we like, what do we not like, and mm-hmm. uh, really, even though it, it it was like they really started putting shape to what that was, and so. Um, and I, like I said, at first I was just a customer and a fan and, but it really was visible to me that they had put this effort in and that there was like all these things had layers of meaning, not just boom, here it is. It's not just smacking right. our logo on a, on a blank hat or blank tee. It was like, no, all these things were very considered. All these things had, they had meaning and they were not accidental uh, very intentional, uh, and cool and fun and, mm-hmm. you know, great design and all those things. Uh, but, but they, they really, really were the formation of the, not just the company, but the the character of the brand. Right. Right. I mean, it feels like, um, putting together a brand like a Howler Bros where it's, very story driven, a lot of layers, you know, distinct. I mean, there's not a whole lot of brands that are like Howler Bros. And now that it's been around, now we start to see lookalikes, right? They're oh, trying yeah. to be a Howler Bros, right? Plenty of them. So when you're when you're kind of 
at the at the workbench, so to speak, and you're and you're putting this brand together, you know, or or any brand. Um, what does that look like? Like when people are kind of saying, "All right, well, we got a name, we got a concept." I mean, where do you think it really starts, and the where the core of a brand really becomes powerful? Yeah, um, you know, honestly, I, th- I think one of the biggest pitfalls, uh, or like things that holes that people step into when they're starting down this journey, is they think, "Oh, I got a name. I know what we're going to do or make or what our product or mm-hmm. service is going to be. I got a name." I got a logo, therefore I have a brand. And that mm-hmm. is the farthest thing from the truth. And I, I, I like to sort of compare brand to personality. A person, a human, has their DNA and all the you know their traits, right? Hair color and height and all those things. But mm-hmm. it's really their personality that makes them awesome and and it, it really that really has a lot of bearing a great bearing on like how they interact with other people how they you know take on the events that happen in their life and all that stuff um and there's it, it, it's mutual shaping there but um but like so if you think about it too a, a brand really you know has a character and is a personality the mm-hmm. same way that a human has a personality. And I think a, a lot of times, like especially a founder will say, oh, it's me. Rick likes this. Therefore, the brand likes this. And there there probably is a lot of overlap. You know, like mm-hmm. on a Venn diagram, there is a ton of overlap between founder or founders and brand. But really done in a, in a like perfect way there are parts of the brand that lie outside of the founders and there's parts of the founders that lie outside of the brand and so right. the brand then has its own sort of personality chemical makeup whatever you want to call it and uh and it really i think it's actually super helpful to go through that process and really define those things and not just what it is but what it is not and that not list Frank, frankly, is should be a lot longer. It mm. helps define, you know, you think about here, you are who you are and that what you are not is actually the whole rest of the universe or, you know, right. a large part of it. Um, and so, but I think, I think when you can go through that, it makes it really simple or a lot easier to say, okay, well, how would Howler Brothers answer this? Not just how would Rick answer it? Or what, you know, what's a, how, how would Howler Brothers sort of uh, present something or do something, not just what Sam or Josh or anybody else would do. Um, Mm -hmm. And so what I think is it makes it better and easier as you continue growing and hiring more people is, or even working with partners is like third parties is to be able to say, this is who we are. This is who we're not. Yep. And you uh it just that instantly makes it easier and more defined but then to get really good and nuanced is like being an actor and so Mm. you say you know it's uh uh you know harrison ford is an actor 
right? And he has his mm -hmm. things and his attitudes, and he's actually in real life, I think he's like kind of shy and stuff. But Han Solo is like outgoing, troublemaker, right? Kind of a bullshit artist, you know, all that, all that stuff that Han Solo is. And mm -hmm. so those are two different things. Um, so really, I, like a brand is more the character that you assume or put on or like become. And mm -hmm. that, but you, you at the end of the day, or each individual of us is an actor. The, the difference right. is, is like how, how far away is that from who I am as a person? Mm, I like or that. you. Or I really like how you kind of broke you know? that down. Yeah, no, I, it's interesting how you broke that down. And I, I similarly, I had a neighbor, he, he was like, when I first got out of college, he goes, the best thing you could do is draw a circle and draw everything that you think you are in the middle. And then if things that come across your table, across your desk, don't quite fit the model, forget about it. Yeah. You know, like, don't yeah. like leave that, out, leave that aside. But I guess the question is, is, you know, does, do you think that would then kind of leave things on the table that a brand might would, would have been interested in? Like, how do you, how do you filter out those little golden nuggets, those diamonds in the rough that maybe it is a good idea to try something different, you know, and, and, and see through that, or is this kind of like the iteration of the classic entrepreneurship, like trying to uh, try things over and over again. And, and as they evolve, you start to then learn what works and what doesn't. Well, I think that the, the two things there that from what you just said that like I think of are one is at the end of the day, it's a business. So mm -hmm. it has to be viable. It has to be functioning as a business. There's business decisions uh, that certainly you have to splash up against the brand and, and, and vice versa. But, you know, I think, look, people evolve. People, you, know, you start off one way and there's opportunities and crossroads and uh, hard times and things that help shape who you are. And, and they'll, your path is not just linear. And so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think, I think brands certainly evolve too uh, and companies. Uh, and so it's not that you can't ever do it. It's really, or like something that's outside your circle. I think it really just is probably not a, a, a total given. You know, or like a given yes or no that you can say, yeah, hey, maybe we should consider this or maybe, you know, we, we've been doing it this way for a few years and maybe it's time for us to evolve the same way that people evolve. Right, right. Now, it's 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 interesting, you know, I mean, coming from someone that has definitely evolved over time. Right. I mean, you went from shipping sugar to now working for Howler Bros and, and everything in between, right? Like you've had a very interesting journey uh, thus far and I it will probably continue to evolve. So, you know, looking at Howler Bros as a company, like who do you see their character being? You know, like, like who is it that Howler Bros is kind of looking to be an actor for? Uh, yeah, that, that's a really good question. I mean, we have uh, everybody... Let me, let me say this. Uh, I think oftentimes people, companies, brands want to distill it down to this perfect sentence, right? A one sentence definition. We are the blank of this who helps these people or does this or wh whatever that is, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it was funny because we, 
we as like the, the four um, partners, now five, but at that moment there were four of us and we said, okay, look, we have a really good understanding, like know it in our gut. And you could see something go, that's Howler or that's not Howler, right? Mm-hmm. Or of, of these two options or Howler wouldn't do that. So let's not do it that way. Um, and so we, but as we kept growing, and hiring more people, it, we found that it was harder for them to convey that and to share that, like in, in a succinct or even just a uh, consumable way. And you know, here you have these folks who, and they're close. They're like eighty percent, eighty-five. Then they get to ninety, but mm-hmm. like that, it, it gets harder to get those last few percentage points. And so we actually went through this whole process of um, instead of trying, well, we started just like everybody trying to come down to that one perfect sentence. Mm. And then what we ended up doing was saying, actually, uh, and we worked with some good friends of ours at a a really great ad agency here in town called McGarrett Jesse. And we weren't a client of the firm. We just had a lot of friends there and, and really think highly of them. And so we said, Hey, for this, we want y'all to run us through this project and we want the output to be, y'all are going to beat us up and help us get out of us this essence. And we're going to put it in this one sentence. And so we went through this whole awesome long exercise and it was a lot of the, what is us, what is not us. And we did it for like all these different categories, right? Music, movies and places and food and like you name it. Uh, and we did all these other exercises too. And they kind of came back and said, uh, we kind of think y'all broke the machine. And so here's <laughs> what, here's what we ended up with. Instead of this one succinct sentence, we actually, what we did was we created this whole book and this book is, um, it has all these things. And instead of trying to get to this perfect sentence, there are some big, funny, like convoluted sentences that are, are more like tongue in cheek, but mm. like there's uh there's all these things that, that, and it's all these different, each time you turn the page, it's like, it's almost like a book like this. And every time you turn the page is something different. Like one is a choose your mm. own adventure. Uh, you turn the page, there's a quiz. We made a Scantron sheet and it's like, uh, like a standardized test, you know, and it's like, hey, yeah, which yeah, Willie yeah. Nelson, which Willie Nelson is the right one? And here's like one <laughs> from, you know, the 60s and one from the mid 80s. And uh, it's just yeah. things like that. And uh, th- there's a whole bunch of stuff. Which one is the right one, of, Rick? Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? It's it's the earlier okay. one. It's the 60s one. Obviously. But, um, Good. All yeah, right. obviously. Just making sure. But uh, <laughs> there's a whole, a whole bunch of questions in the quiz. There's these other sort of pages or chapters to it as well um and then you know for us it was uh really the whole point was that it's not this one answer kind of going back Mm -hmm. to the very beginning of our discussion it wasn't someone handing me the answer it was like no go read this book and it's it's a visual graphic book but like when you go through it Mm -hmm. and you get to the end of it if you really like allocate brain space to it you're like okay I feel like I know that person. And our whole thought was like, you know, when you meet someone, it's one thing to meet them and say, hi, my name's John. This is a new person in my mental Rolodex named John. 
but you don't really know them. You met them, mm-hmm. you know their name, but it's not until you hang out with them, till you go figure out like what they like to eat or don't like or what kind of beer they drink. And you go to their house and you see mm-hmm. like, oh, here are all the books that they have or the albums that they have or the movies they like and all that stuff. You really start to like put, you know, some shape to who they are as a person. And so right. when you, by the time you read through this book, you should have a way better understanding of who is Howler Brothers. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, after... Uh, man, how many people have I talked to on this podcast now? Close to a hundred. And, um, I've never gotten an answer like that from a question where <laughs> in, in regards to branding, like, so, I mean, you yeah. kind of broke, you kind of broke my question to asking, you know, a machine because <laughs> it, it's so, it, it's so interesting to see that, you know, a brand where, you know, that essentially you, you kind of, you kind of flip the script, you know? Every brand wants to have that, you know, built for the wild or, you know, this, that, and the other thing, right? Two or three words and a quick little blurb. Whereas you guys are like, no, we're just going to have a book. We'll make it a book. Well, we have it and we have a tagline. To be clear, we have a tagline. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. And it's, and I actually love it. I think it is, has layers and depth to it. Uh, But I think what you're getting at is like, it's not this one sentence that describes, right? you know, oh, yeah, this succinctly encapsulates everything about this company or this brand. And mm-hmm. we're like, mm-hmm. why, why, why are but we trying right. so I mean, hard to fit into someone else's formula? Let's just go make our own formula. Right. And, and that's the cool thing about entrepreneurship and building a business is there really is no formula you know i mean you could make a business out of anything you know essentially doesn't mean that it's gonna yeah. be successful right that does does not mean that whatsoever um but you know being able to be creative and create things that haven't been done before um and then to have other people follow suit i think is a testament to saying that Howler Bro- brothers is 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 definitely doing something right so you know i guess i guess the next question would be is you know as Howler Brothers evolves, you guys have really kind of stemmed into a lot of different markets. And what what is it that you guys see 10 years from now or eight years from now, you know, for, from your eight years being here and now you're kind of, what's the next eight years look like? Uh, yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good question. We, we actually, last year was our 10th anniversary. And so we, as partners, in addition to all the normal stuff we you know, need to do, like figure out here's the next season, the next collection, and, and sort of our an- regular annual process, we took, a, in addition to that, we took a lot of time saying, okay, what do we want for the next 10 years? Where, where, do, where do we, what do we want out of the business? Where do we want it to go? What do we see? What would we like to do that we have not yet done? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we spent a lot of time and even further, uh, further iterations and work on who are in who are we now because it, it has evolved mm. and it's, it's going to keep evolving and so what what do we like you know what do we not want to do or what are those things that four years ago we thought oh we'll never do that and now we really want to and so i think it's right. totally fine and it was actually a really awesome exercise um 
and mm. and, it, and we it, it was well beyond just that but um over the course of the year we spent a lot of effort on it and it was great and in part too because we had hit this uh this we had hit this goal that when i started you know seven and a half years prior we thought oh my gosh that's this big hairy goal that we our BHAG and we thought we'd never get there or, you know we thought we knew we would someday but like it's going to take forever and mm-hmm. oh shoot here we are we hit it so what's our new BHAG right. and what's our what do we want out of it and how do we want to do things the same or different or whatever and so it was a, I would totally encourage uh, people to do the same and be real sober and honest about participating in it and uh, just go through it because it's it's a even if it doesn't, you don't actually change that much. It's mm-hmm. a great way to get everybody sort of on the same page and get everyone reinvigorated on the the mission and the alignment and everything. So, right, it was, like it was really good to where you, where you started and where you've come. <laughs> now, do you think? Um, do you do you oftentimes look back at beginning times of Howler Brothers and then where you are now and be like, man? that was a really good move or who, man, that was, uh, I probably wouldn't have done that, you know, do something. Oh, different. oh my gosh. All the time. And we, we laugh all the time about it. And it maybe is a, a product. Mm-hmm. It could be an item. It could also be like a, a business decision, like you said, or it could be, uh, or shoot a hire, you know, uh, adding mm-hmm. someone to the team or whatever. I mean, all those things. And, and we laugh about it all the time. Um, good, good and bad about, you know, things that, oh my God, I can't believe we did that. Or I can't believe we trusted that, <laughs> that group or whatever it is, you know, yeah. and we, we have, uh, but that's, I think that's also part of like any business's evolution is you got to go through those things and you think you're making good decisions at the time. Nobody says, I want to, I want to make the shittiest decision or I'm going to take the worst possible, you know, option here you think you're making good decisions but but you don't necessarily have all the facts and things Mm. change over time and so it was like oh you know like i you know when when i first started we were officing out of a warehouse we had all our inventory there we picked hand picked and shipped every order we were writing notes doing all those awesome things that like earlier stage e-com or businesses do and it was awesome and th- there's definitely moments I think we, we sort of wish we were still there or just some of those activities, some of those things. Um, but we hit this point where it was just untenable. You know, we mm-hmm. were going to either have to get really freaking good at warehouse logistics, pick, pack, ship, and invest in equipment and technology and all that and hire a bunch of people or – we can say, look up and say, okay, there's providers that already do this. Right. Let's, let's let them do that. And we'll focus on the activities that we think we're good at, which is mm-hmm. product and brand and marketing and all those things. So that was the path we took. Other people might choose differently. Um, but right. uh, we also, um, you know, but like in that we, we went, so we said, okay, we're going to go find a 3PL instead of shipping all our own stuff. Mm-hmm. I went through this process and we talked to like 20 of them. We got advice from other people and brands and all this stuff. We settled on this one group and I'll 
avoid lawsuits by uh, saying their name, but uh, <laughs> they were, you know, they said all the right things and they looked like a great decision to make. And mm. we started working with them and it was freaking miserable. And they never, mm. ever got it right. And it was a, uh, it was a nightmare because mm. now all of a sudden we're spending so much effort like trying to right all the wrongs that they make or, or, you know, and that's with customers, it's with our retailers, it's with right. our, our, in every way. And there we're in Austin, they were in Dallas. So like somebody was driving to Dallas, like all the freaking time to go resolve mm-hmm. some issue. And every time we're like, all right, I think we got them squared away and they would screw it up on Monday. They'd so find a way it was, to mess it up. Yeah, it was, it was miserable. And it just was that they were, as a group, I think they had had success doing other types of products or other brands uh, as a 3PL, but they were awful and completely uh, incapable and insufficient. And so uh, it's funny. And we were at our wits end and we were about to bring it back in house. Just like Mm -hmm. screw these idiots. We're going to do it ourselves again. And at least it's on us. Right. And uh, so that was this decision that was a growth, you know, fueled by growth mm-hmm. decision. We, we made, we ran a process. We thought we were doing the right thing. They ended up being completely inept, but right. before that we didn't know it. And, but it then now you do. made us, yeah, but it also made us better and stronger because of it. Mm-hmm. And so on the backside of that, you know, the, it's like, okay, we're now better and smarter because of it. We found another partner and uh to, to take that from them um but oh my god that was just that was a you know we had to weather the storm it was, <laughs> that was miserable that's what you call it a cluster <laughs> oh um, it was it was awful so i mean that kind of brings up a good point though you know and you mentioned like the actor the humanoid of howler brothers and you know how the founder there's some cross there's some overlap there and picking people to to that you hire to come work for you or picking partners like a 3PL. You right. know, what is it about, you know, or I guess the question would be, how do you find that that DNA where, you know, you mentioned earlier the 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 few more percents that is makes it a yes versus a no. You know, like that that cross pollination where they can come in someone a, a an employee or a partner or, or even ambassador and say, no, you're, you're part of the family. You're, you're part of the crew. Yeah, man. Um, I think what we've sort of found and learned over time is that communicating and like, that means I think being real straightforward and honest about who you are, what you expect, how you work and then on the same on the flip side of that is like who you are not how do you do not work what what you do not like you know all those things Mm -hmm. and how you do not communicate and i think being real upfront about all that allows you to make better decisions and find better people and the the right thing sort of flows to the top um and then, you know, I think, too, with, you know, you could, you could have a, uh, 
a hundred people uh, apply for an accountant role. I'm just picking accounting, but like apply for an accountant role. But of all those people, let's say twenty are good. You think there's five that are really strong candidates, and and so there's like again back to like features and benefits, but like they're checking the, the requirements, right? They're really mm-hmm. good at their at their, what they do. They have experience. They blah blah blah. They they all those things, right? All the skill set and all the requirements are met. I think mm-hmm. over here though is <clears throat> are they going to be a fit culturally fit? Are they do they bring the what are the intangibles about them? Do they bring energy to it? Are they uh, you know excited to? Is it someone who only wants to do their narrow little job? Or are they like, when when there's a need, we all got to grab some boxes and take them across the street? Like, are they going to hop in there and do that or be like, mm, that's not my job, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so it's sort of that like team player spirit is a part of it. And and that, that really comes down to like the culture fit and, and uh, being part of a team or a family. And, um, and so it's that too, you know, again, like going back to the brand, kind of what we have uh, sort of outlined is that, yo, there's here are these sort of pillars of our brand. And that, that needs to ring true for us and how we project outwardly communications and products and content and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It also needs to be like, oh, our, our team members ought to be able to espouse that too. You know, right. or res- or look yeah. like that, and it doesn't mean. And of course, everyone is not going to be a perfect, perfect match. But can they? Can they get behind those things? Can they get excited about those things? Can they contribute uh, beyond? Because look, man, especially in early stage um, startup stuff, man, you got to do a thousand different jobs, and you have to do, mm-hmm. and, and very little of it is going to be like really cool or glorious and so you know if you're not willing to get your hands dirty or you're not willing to chip in in other ways mm-hmm. it's probably there is probably a, another role for that person at some other company down the road but right. for us at this juncture we need people who can help out in multiple ways you know yeah yeah yep no, I, I mean, picking a team, it's like anything, like you, whether it be a relationship, um, you know, friendship, it's it's having people that are willing to step up and, and do the right thing when when they need to, or even doing it yeah. before they before we think that we need that uh, that thing. Yeah. So I guess, uh, you know, kind of capping things off, like if if Howler Bros, if things were to stop tomorrow, you know, for Rick and you could take one thing away from everything else and i could and i and i tell you you're no longer allowed to work in the outdoor industry what would you okay. have taken away from i know that's very uh no that's a okay. random question but what would you have taken away from your career in this whether it be from yeti howler and everything else that you've done i i i would say this even if you weren't going to kick me out of my job in the outdoor industry and all that other stuff you just said uh, I think it's all about people. Really, it's all about people. It's all about 
communicating with people. It's all about uh, being a good friend or teammate and about building relationships. And I like, I sort of joke about acquiring friends, you know, or relationships. It's not like, oh, I've only got so much room on this log. You know, like turtles on a log, right? There's only room for so mm-hmm. many turtles. So if one guy jumps up there, somebody else gets bumped off the log. I don't think that's that at all. I think it's, you aggregate, you accumulate. And, um, you know, and so just being able to communicate and, and work on relationships. And, and I mean that in like a good, fun, positive way too. So mm-hmm. it's about people. And if you, I, you know, I truly believe like if you, if you treat people well and take care of and help. And like we said about earlier, don't necessarily have expectations. Like you're doing it to help them or to help the great, the cause or the greater good, then it's all going to work out and you, it's all going to sort of come around. So I would just take relationships. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks Rick for coming on the podcast and, um, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's been great. And I, you know, it's, uh, it's cool to see where Howler brothers is going and, and, you know, everything that you've done in your career. So, uh, yeah. And by the way, that TEDx that you did in out of Austin really enjoyed that. So I don't want to leave that below. That was awesome. Well, thanks man. I appreciate it. That, that was a while ago, but, uh, I, I appreciate it. Um, thanks for having me. Uh, keep up the good work. Podcast is awesome. And, uh, I, I really appreciate you. Uh, Thank you for tuning into this episode of Along the Keel. If you'd like to learn more about this brand or business, please use the links below and be sure to give them a like, share, and a follow on social to stay up to date with what they're doing in the future. If you'd like to learn more about the show and want to support what we're doing over here at Along the Keel, then head on over to our website and sign up for our newsletter and give us a like, share, and follow on social. We're always doing our best to keep you connected with the coast and deliver the best stories about those who are working hard and doing what they love. Captain Zach signing off. Until next time, get out there and earn your summer.